Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, we survey the cryptocurrency landscape. Are we seeing the crypto market basically exhibiting strong recovery over the past couple of days? Is Ethereum outperforming Bitcoin? And if so, why? The Russian-Ukraine conflict, has that thrust crypto into the spotlight and raised some important questions as well? We are speaking with Luno today. VJIR is VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno. VJ, good morning. Morning, Michelle. How are you? Doing really well. Let's start with the big news of the day. 615 million in cryptocurrencies stolen from the Ronin Network. That's a blockchain platform that runs a very popular game, Axie Infinity. It's a play-to-earn game. So 173,000 Ethereum valued at about 590 million stolen, along with 25.5 million in USDC, the stable coin that's pegged to the USD. Uh, I think people think that when they're dealing with DeFi, decentralized finance, pegged to the blockchain, that somehow their money is safe. So how could this have happened? Right, Michelle. So I'll say a couple of things, right? First of all, I think just to understand what happened, basically this was the Ronin network that got hacked. And what it is is essentially a bridge. And why they use bridges is because users hold assets across multiple blockchains and they need to bring those assets onto the Axie Infinity game to be able to play this game, right? So what it also goes to show is that actually DeFi and a lot of these, uh, you know, bridging technology is still really early in its evolution. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely not say a lot of this is has stood the test of time, right? Mm-hmm. If If anything, something like Bitcoin with its decentralized nature is probably the most secure that we know in the crypto landscape. Ethereum comes close second, but a lot of the stuff that's being developed across DeFi, across you're hearing about the NFTs and the metaverse and so on, is still very early. So I would still place a lot of caution uh, when dealing with, uh, you know, these sorts of technologies and networks because it's still very early, frankly. Okay, well said. Let's move on now to Bitcoin. It's climbed back up, sitting above. Let's see where Bitcoin is trading this uh, last time, 46,798 US dollars. Vijay, do you think this uh, move upwards can be sustained? Yeah, excellent question, right? I think the, the the move down to about 34 to 35K has, I think, tripped up a lot of people, you know, who, who've been trying to trade this range. Essentially, if you look at it, over the past almost a year now, we've kind of basically gone sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're now doing is coming out of that sideways consolidation, which is quite bullish. Consolidating above 46, 47K is quite bullish as well. Most traders are looking to 53K as the big kind of hurdle to get over. And if you really break 53K on a high time frame basis, which is essentially daily or weekly close, then I think we're very, very much strongly onto the bullish case. So all signs point to bullishness, frankly, but 53K around that is probably a very, very key uh, juncture to kind of take a look at if and when we get there, hopefully. Are we seeing a narrowing of the correlation between the equities market and the crypto market? I think there was a 90-day correlation between Bitcoin and S&P 500 that's reached a new 17-month high just last Friday. 
Yeah, this is always interesting, right? And I think we've seen the correlation be, uh, you know, continue to be quite high. I would argue another kind of contrary point here, right, which mm-hmm. is we might start also seeing the beginnings of some sort of decoupling here, which is, you know, the equity markets are going to continue to be pressured by a lot of what is happening in the macro side. Mm-hmm. But you're starting to see gold really break out. And Bitcoin, which is kind of almost baby kind of brother of gold, if you have to call it, will follow very similarly. So gold is on a very uh, strong trajectory here. And as gold continues to become much more important in the world, as we're seeing with all the conflict and a lot of governments starting to look at gold as potentially an option, uh, Bitcoin will start to shine in, in my view. So if if I were to take a view, I would say over the next five to uh, you know five years a bit more, we will start seeing some sort of decorrelation, and I'm hoping for that honestly, because that is ultimately what Bitcoin is meant to kind of serve as well. So you don't think the crypto market's going to stay fearful, uh, even with these larger geopolitical issues around us? You know, I think it's the beginning of uh, something here, if you ask me, if I have to put my head out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, for now, it's obviously, you know, quite correlated. But I, I do think that over, this will take time. Again, like I said, it's like not over the next six months or one year. Yeah. Over the next couple of years, for sure, is the hope, yeah. Got it. Vijay are joining me this morning, VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno, as we survey the cryptocurrency markets. Now, let's take a look at what's going on in Russia. It is considering accepting crypto payments for its oil supply from quote-unquote friendly countries. Analysts believe the country may be may benefit from accepting uh, popular cryptocurrency despite the risks. There are also concerns that Russian oligarchs could be using virtual currencies to avoid sanctions. Uh, many firms have ruled this out, though. Are some ordinary Russians using crypto as a lifeline now that their currency has collapsed and they can't make payments on their credit cards? Broadly speaking, if we take a step back, how big is the market for crypto payments? in Russia, do we know? Um, it's hard to kind of peg a number on that, Michelle. Uh, frankly, what I would say is that it's, again, it, you, you know, we're seeing Bitcoin and crypto move into really new territory here, right? Like, and you're seeing the good and bad of technology broadly. I say this quite often, which is, you know, the internet also is a technology mm. and it is used for good and bad. So it's a hard one to kind of navigate. What I would say is that it has served as a lifeline, as we can see in, in Ukraine. Uh, you're seeing Russia, you know, starting to say that they're ready to accept crypto with, mm. from friendly countries. Mm. What I would just say is that the market is still not not that big uh, for a lot of this sort of liquidity that we're uh, expecting, right? And even when Russia says friendly countries, China, which is one of the the partners that it works with, has actually banned Bitcoin, right, Uh, essentially. So I don't see this banning out, frankly. I know it's uh, kind of a nice kind of idea for Russia to explore, but frankly, the, the liquidity is not there for the sort of payments we're looking at and then uh, it's still still very very immature in that regard um, the, the other thing I would just say is that most countries and exchanges that are large do perform KYC and sanction kind of checklists and so on right so for for if when you mention oligarchs moving money using crypto I also would not uh, think that that's kind of true or um, the scale that they'd want to do it because these things are tracked Bitcoin and crypto, I mean, most of these transactions are on the blockchain that's completely transparent. So, uh, in fact, it would be a big kind of mistake for any, I guess, criminals to that, to that effect to be using crypto, frankly. 
Although, given what we're seeing Ukraine be able to do with its crypto wallet, Ukraine has accepted donations via cryptocurrencies uh, to fund its military and it's raised over $50 million, according to Elliptic, an analytics firm. And so, because these transactions are on a public ledger, and to some extent you can see where the money that you're sending is going to and how it's deployed and, you know, uh, after it's received, do you think what we're seeing in the case of Ukraine and its acceptance of donations is validating some of the original value propositions of cryptocurrencies. Absolutely right. And and this is what I usually kind of like to refer to, which is it's proving itself in such difficult times. And I mentioned this before, I do think it's such a watershed moment for crypto and Bitcoin. And it's amazing to see like no other financial network is able to do this currently, which is in a span of seven days, raise 30, 50 million dollars from all over the world purely because Bitcoin is the only completely decentralized money network that we know and use currently, right? So I think it is quite powerful and it shows that technology mostly could and should be used for good kind of purposes. All right, let's switch gears, come back to Asia. Thailand has issued rules to ban digital assets from being used to pay for goods and services from April the 1st. So Thailand banning digital assets as payment from uh, the 1st of April, a couple of days away. Can you give us a little bit of an explainer to what's changed for the crypto landscape in Thailand and perhaps how that could affect the wider ASEAN region? Right. Um, so this ban, I don't think it's too kind of detrimental in that regard. And I say that is because mostly if you if you look at crypto, the asset class, uh, a lot of the use cases currently still around the investing use case. Um, and, and you've seen other countries also ban, you know, crypto for payments and so on. Right. So what I would say is that most governments are trying to kind of feel their way around the industry. Right. And it is so new and a lot is changing. So the normal reaction usually is to kind of stop something that they don't fully kind of accept or understand purely because it's hard for them to quickly come together to put together the right regulation. So the best is to kind of monitor it slowly and see what happens. And so in this case, most countries are doing this, which is like the investing and the trading use case is quite okay to do, but payments is not. And it's because with payments, you're talking about so many uh, you know complexities like cross-border payments, like capital control issues uh, and so on. You know, it, it's a huge other step to kind of grapple with, right? So, I think uh, if you ask me, a lot of this will play itself out over the next few years as crypto becomes a lot more prevalent in, in everyone's lives. What I also say usually is that, you know, crypto, I mean, in the future, we wouldn't be saying I'm making a crypto payment. Or it's very similar to how we're currently all of us are online, right? We're not saying, no one says I'm going online or I'm using my phone or mobile. It's always on, everyone is always on the internet, pretty much. Mm. And it's the same thing with crypto. You have to look at crypto as a technology, right? Mm. So in the future, you know, you can imagine people, uh, all of what we're doing is based on a crypto-based system. And so it's not ever going to be a crypto payment. It's going to be payments, but, uh, you know, underlying technology, you know, being based on crypto or a blockchain. So I would say a lot of this is evolving still. And it's it's a, it's almost a lot of this is knee-jerk reactions. And it's okay because it's not making, it's not going to impact crypto at all, if you ask me. But we'll see how, you know, the payment landscape for crypto pans out. Thailand is 14th among countries globally, according to number of crypto users living in Thailand, uh, according to 2021 analysis. But you don't think this is going to make a dent on the global crypto market, huh? Thailand's ban. Not at all. And like I said, again, it's mainly because most of the use case currently is 
around the store of value for Bitcoin and then the trading and the investment use case and the speculative use case, essentially, which is also a very fair use case, if you ask me, right? What I would just say is that payments using stable coins, such as USDC, uh, are gaining traction with the likes of Visa and MasterCard as well, uh, doing a lot of work in that regard. But even then, it's still very, very small, right? So, yeah, uh, not much of an impact, frankly. All right. Give us a sense of what you're going to be looking for in the week ahead. There's so much going on, right? Like, you know, from a macro perspective, there's tons going on with some of the stuff you just mentioned around the conflict and the oil payments and so on. So that is definitely interesting to see what kind of happens there. But broadly, I would just bring attention back to the crypto markets, which is amazing and uh, what we're seeing going on with all of the development uh, around the NFT use cases, around the metaverse, and then, frankly, just prices of uh, of the asset class. Uh, we're at $2 trillion now, I think, and Ethereum is looking really good as well. So broadly, the market is looking good, and I think hopefully we, we see higher prices from here. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see 53K if we get there and what happens. All right. We'll check in with you then if that happens, Vijay. Thank you for yeah, joining sure. us. Vijay Iyer is VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.